Welcome to Plans Are Booked, a podcast for every reader. I'm Molly Geller. I'm Stephanie Blackburn. And I'm Caitlin Madison. I really liked that sick Phoebe voice that you just (laughs) so deep and scared me. Steph's fine now. She's recovered. Um, So I walked into Steph's house tonight and I was like, I have some controversial things to say today because it's the start of the new year. We're days in now and things are happening and I just, I have comments. And so I'm just going to rip the bandaid and say Jimmy Kimmel might be suing Aaron Rodgers. Have you heard about this, Molly? I have not. (laughs) Aaron Rodgers was on some stupid podcast. Don't know the name of it. Don't know the host. Saw like a random thumbnail image of it um, because Jimmy Kimmel was retweeting it and literally was like on a rampage and was like, these stupid assholes, like blah, blah, blah. Aaron Rodgers apparently went on a podcast and sort of jokingly, sort of not jokingly insinuated that he wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy Kimmel showed up on Epstein's list and Jimmy Kimmel might sue him now. I would do the same thing if someone was implying that that was what I was doing in my personal life. He is livid. Like he went on the tweet sauce and just like let everybody have it. And then today I'm getting like headlines in my email. It's like he's going to sue Aaron Rodgers and la da 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 da. And I was like, part of me was like, I'm interested in how this unfolds because I am. And then the other part of me was like, can Aaron Rodgers get any dumber? (laughs) Like, he's so dumb. Like, he's unvaccinated, just living in the world, doing his thing. And then for no reason, I mean, did he have beef with Jimmy Kimmel? He didn't. Yes, I know this is a book podcast, but I do want to talk about this. (laughs) He didn't have, there's no beef with Jimmy Kimmel. There's no beef. Like, Jimmy Kimmel might have cracked one joke one time about, you know, I don't know a butt fumble or something. I have no idea, but like not, that's not like a, a casual burn. That's literally like you are the scum of the earth and a pedophile and um, like, are just a foul person. So anyways, that happened. Now Molly knows. I'm glad <laughs> you're going to want to look that up later. Thank you for informing me. Um. Okay. So that's my first controversial. It's not even, That was like the controversial in the world. This is now I'm going to say something controversial about me. Ooh. I don't know how either of you are going to feel about this. Oh, no. And the reason that I'm saying this is because I know how you feel about audiobooks. Oh, my God. Molly looks so nervous. Okay. Really? You start talking about how listening to books is the same as reading books you hold in your hand. I'm going to lose my mind. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. But. I am in a Swifty book club, and I have been made aware of how many books you can get for free if you have a Kindle, and now I might have to get a Kindle just for the free shit. No, but that's still reading. It's still reading, but I, I, but if I, but that means I can't give you the books because you don't have Kindles. Um. I mean, I guess it's okay. Okay, Steph gives it an okay. Molly, skeptical. 
I'm not skeptical. It is a financial shift because right now when we buy books, we basically share it times three, which means the book costs one third what it would cost if we just bought it alone and didn't pass it on. At least that's an interesting point. It's an interesting point. But I also feel like it's okay for you to want free books. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the books that they're talking about are only for e-reader. Like they haven't made it to the next level yet. So these people are getting in on like the ground floor of these authors Mm -hmm. who aren't even like big published yet. And that makes me a little jealous. I also noticed today, um, my brother-in-law's birthday is coming up next week. And my sister said his favorite holiday gift he got was an air fryer. And she thought a good gift would be an air fryer cookbook since he's figuring it all out. So anyway, I was on Amazon poking around to see what there was only because I'm in a time crunch. As you all know, I always support local if I can, but I have limited days to make this happen. And I saw that the price for the Kindle version of all of these cookbooks was like one third the paper or hardcover Mm -hmm. price. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my brother has some sneaky way where if something's on a New York Times bestseller list, he like knows... Somebody who knows somebody that you can like get it. I don't know. I think you can get them through your local library on your Kindle. That's also true. Yeah. Here's the thing. I'm not going to yuck your yum if you do it. Great. But I need to be able in a five second thing to page back 20, 30 pages to be like, wait a second, you know? So here, so here's the rub, if you will. I had a Kindle probably... 10 or 12 years ago and I didn't use it. And my brother actually was like, will you just sell that to me? Cause I know um, he's like, it's got a dead battery. Like every single day we lived together at that point. And he was like, you're not using it. And I was like, yeah, sure. But now I feel like it's gotten, there's more, I wouldn't use it exclusively. I would use it to get the free stuff and the whatever. And, and a lot of people are saying that, well, and I know that this is true from Goodreads, a lot of ARCs that you can get are now, some of them aren't print editions, they're doing them digitally. So like those giveaways that they do on Goodreads, like there have been ones that I've bowed out of because it's only for e-reader and I don't have one. So I'm considering it. I don't know when. And also, I mean, my brother, one of his biggest arguments is like, if you travel anywhere, it's so much easier than carrying books. And you guys are like, I am where like, I can't just take one book on vacation because I'll finish it. And I've started because I go and see my mom in Florida every winter. I've started leaving books there for my parents to read. And then there's like a book nook at their pool. So I'm like, when you finish reading that, just like put it in the book nook because I don't want it back. Um, and then if I need another book, I buy it while I'm down there. I would consider getting a Kindle just for travel. Is, is that like a weird flex? <laughs> As someone who puts anywhere from three to four books in my suitcase for every trip, I totally get that. Yeah. And especially Steph and I are from the school of carry-on bags. Where unless it's included with our seat, we do not check bags. So sometimes I go on even just like a four-day trip and I have a book per day because I do my best reading on planes. So sometimes I finish something even before we arrive at the destination. I have thought that if I had an e-reader, that would solve part of the luggage problem. But I just really like to feel 
the progress in my hand. Okay. So not to be like all Lucille Bluth about this, but like what's a Kindle cost these days? Like I don't even <laughs> like I have no idea. I think my last one was like $50 and I'm sure that that can't be possible anymore. Right? I'm going to guess 199 for like oh. a general Okay, wow. That'd be a big price break. <laughs> if okay. it's 199, I'm not buying it myself. Okay, so we rarely type and talk because we try not to make background noise, but I did just look up what the costs are. So for the entry level Kindle, $99. Doable. Reasonable. That's the black and white OG. Exactly. Okay. And then for the Kindle paper white, 139. For the paper white signature edition, 189. Something called the Kindle Oasis, 249. And then there's one that's like a screen with a stylus pen, the Kindle Scribe, $339. Okay. I mean, if I'm going to spend like $300, then I'm just going to go iPad. But the stylus is cool. You know who? Well, first of all, we should ask people on Instagram if they use e-readers and which ones they like. Definitely. The other thing that I just thought of just now I bet my students have e-readers. I could ask them and they're brutally honest. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is trash or like, this is good or whatever. That's a good idea. Um, okay. I'll report back on that. Cause I am seriously considering it. And then also maybe hint to your mother for your birthday. Yeah, I could. I could. The timing is good. I know. I know. It's yeah. Okay. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Well, we will ask the people what they think about e-readers, which ones they have, if it's worth the cost, any advice that they have for Caitlin. I do want to say, um, switching gears for a second, that since we last saw each other, Steph and I went to the movies and we went to see Anyone But You, which if you haven't seen the trailer, which I feel like is everywhere, and the social media promotion, which is everywhere, it co-stars... Sydney Sweeney, who you probably know from Euphoria and White Lotus, and Glenn Powell, who I think is at this point best known for Top Gun Maverick, um, as two people who meet randomly one night, have like an amazing whirlwind romance, and then there's kind of a misunderstanding. They break apart, and then they get reunited when they go to the same mutual wedding. I have seen so many rom-coms that I feel like I just have low expectations always because I already have so many favorites and I'm like pretty, I don't know, cemented on the ones that I love. I loved this movie, like laughed out loud several times when it ended. <laughs> Steph turned to me and said, when this comes to streaming, I'm going to rewatch it every night. And with no hesitation, I was like, same. So like, okay. Steph and I have similar taste. We both have two movies that like we have rewatched more times than we probably should have. And it's like, I think what we grade other rom-coms against. So two 10 out of 10s for us, Purple Hearts and To All the Boys I Loved Before. So like, how would you compare anyone but you against those? I'm going to say, depending on how I feel, because that could change how I'm perceiving it. Um, 
9.25. Like if I was in like a really sad, stressed out day, I would be like, yes, I need to sit down and watch this. It's like a 9.25 in my mind. Wow. Okay. Well, wow. <laughs> Is it because it? it's because oh. the tropes? Um enemies i forget what they call it now it's not like haters to lovers they're called enemies to lovers no but i think i saw something recently where it's not it's not enemies it's a different word that they've been using anyways not important um it's enemies to lovers it's also um fake dating which is my favorite trope um and from the trailer it only seemed like fake dating i didn't know it was going to have anything else mm-hmm. okay that has me intrigued also I I suspected that you both were going to really like it, not because of who was in it or that because it's a rom-com, but because the press on this has been so absurd and I like mess. They have like they have really good chemistry. Obviously there were rumors that they were like hooking up on set when they made the movie. But like the only studios that are like pimping out their stars the way that this movie did are movies that like are backed by Disney, like Marvel movies. They'll do a huge press junket or like, you know, like a some kind of like critics darling that like won Sundance, like people will put money for the press junket on that because they're like, it's going to make a run at the awards or whatever. So for like a rom-com to not go directly to streaming and then get the press junket that this did, I was like, it has to be pretty good. I have to interject, though, with my one gripe with the movie, which drove me bananas. Um, They play a game of chess. Two characters play a game of chess with, like, gigantic chessboard. They are not moving the pieces correctly, and it drove me insane for, like, a two-minute section of the movie. It was pretty annoying. Yeah, it was pretty annoying. (laughs) If you know the rules of chess, and also I feel like during COVID times when everybody watched Queen's Gambit, and even if they Mm -hmm. didn't know the rules of chess, all of a sudden they do now, it was super noticeable. I agree with you on that. I also just have to say that I feel that Glenn Powell's abs are like their own character in this movie and deserve an award (laughs) whether or not he actually gets nominated. I haven't actually seen Top Gun Maverick. I know that's like what most people know him for. I know Caitlin's rolling. I know, I know it's on my list. We almost did it as a double feature, came home and watched it, but didn't have time. Um, That's like a big part of the movie. You know who his like parallel is in the OG Top Gun, right? Is it the Tom Cruise character? No. (laughs) Oh my God. No, he's like it's the Iceman ice character oh. in the new one. So he's like a pompous piece of garbage. Blonde. Like, blonde, yeah, like buff, like, yeah, he's that, makes that guy. Sense. That makes more sense. Yeah. And it's like, he's still hot. It's so annoying. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah, um, um, I have breaking news. I have to oh. interrupt. The Brigham, I get emails from Mass General. Brigham. Oh, I thought you meant Brigham's ice cream. No, the Brigham. <laughs> Um, they're doing, they're going back to masking. I, I, yes, I got that email as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're, it's going, they're going back to targeting, targeted masking, meaning if somebody who works at the hospital is facing a patient, which is basically 24 seven there, they have to wear a mask. And then the patients, they're strongly encouraging it, which I think like is basically like you should, um, 
So that's cool. That was my breaking news. But we're a book podcast. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) From abs to masks to books again. We have a wide range. We have a wide range. Listen, this is my brain. Welcome. (laughs) Should we get into it? Should we segue into why we're here today? Sure. Um, So Beartown came out in 2017. My mom read it. And I'm pretty sure she gave me her copy to read because I'm trying – like you didn't own a – you don't own a copy? No, I don't. Okay. So I think I must have gotten it from her. She prefaced to me, um, not to like take a downward spiral for a second, um, that I would probably relate to the book and that she thought it was beautifully written. So should we have like warned the subject matter in advance? Well, we're not going to give this book away because we want people to read it. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's on the cover, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yes, they're on the back. It does say that a girl has to endure something really difficult, which I mean, if we say it like that, then I think people are going to figure out what the hell that is. Yeah. So yeah, it's on the it's on the back of the book. Okay. So I don't know if you know this or not, but I was assaulted by a player when I was in high school. And I found this book to be cathartic, sort of, but also Frederick Bachman's writing is just like one of the most beautiful things. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like he, I sort of picture him as like, he's at his typewriter or computer, whatever. And he's sort of like God looking down on this little village. And he takes like, let's sit with this character for five minutes. Um, Let's reel ourselves back in. Let's go to this character for five minutes. And you maybe don't understand at the beginning how intertwined they are. But even right now I'm reading the third book. And it brought back a scene between Peter Anderson. He's the narrator in this section. But the scene is in the first book. And it's when we're learning the backstory of Kevin. And he had lost a game because of one shot. And he went out into the woods on the lake. And he was basically missing for a long time. Do you guys remember the scene? Yep. And he is hitting puck after puck after puck, trying to basically make up for the missed shot in the game. And the entire town is looking for him. And it was Peter who found him on the ice. So in this third book, calling back to that little moment, I mean, maybe it was a big moment for both characters, but there's just this like web of connectivity and they're not always big moments. Sometimes they're little moments, just seeing how the characters pass each other and maybe don't notice each other. But I I don't even know how to describe it. Like I would love to be the kind of writer that Frederick Bachman is. When I read this book, so it takes place in Sweden, Frederick Bachman. Why did I think it was Norway? Is it Norway? I thought it was Sweden. Oh my God, now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Molly, you have read it the most recently. I don't actually think that they say. Oh, I'm almost. Cheapers. Oh, I don't creepers. think that they say, or if they do, it's like in the first chapter and never again because I just, I just read it and I don't remember it being a big recurring mention. I feel embarrassed right now. Hold You're on. Saying- Stephanie is opening a physical Sweden, copy. I was right. Oh, God. Why did I second <laughs> guess myself? <laughs> Jesus. I'm just Okay, so I was be. right. It could be either. Okay, so it takes place in Sweden in a small town, and 
basically this like beloved hockey player who makes it to the NHL comes back to coach a local team and it's very political and the towns all support their like local team. And for those of us that live in the United States, it's like the equivalent of junior hockey. It's like, it's not associated with a high school. It's associated with the town. People pay to go to the games and these pe- these kids are like basically prospects for like international hockey leagues, the national hockey league, etc. So it's it's club hockey. It's really difficult to make the team. Um, and there's kids from like all over the town, and a lot of them come from like a long line of hockey players where like their dads all know each other, and like nobody ever leaves this one area. And it's got like a real Odessa, Texas, Dillon, Texas, Friday Night Lights kind of like this is the only thing that gives people hope is that they're good at hockey and that it might be their way out. And they've seen people get out because of it. And then as Steph said, he builds this world around the hockey team. Like one of the characters that I love is this woman who owns the local bar and it's like a local watering hole and like everybody goes and drinks there. And she like knows a lot of people's secrets because they get drunk and say stuff that they shouldn't say. And, you know, another great character is Amat. His mom is a cleaner at the rink and he's super fast and that's like his edge to get on the team. He's not like a typical bulky, like scores a lot of goals kind of guy. And there's like the kind of Jason Street character who's like, you know, the one that's supposed to make it out and he's like the golden boy and his dad's a jerk and they have a lot of money. And so people resent them because they, you know, he's kind of like the bank's character from Mighty Ducks, but mm-hmm. unlikable. And then he has a best friend that's like a rough and tumble, like Tim Riggins kind of got like, there's just, you. there's somebody and everybody in it. And there's so many ways that hockey intercepts people's lives. And there's so many sacrifices that they have to make for it. And there's such a pressure on these young kids to do well And you kind of just watch some of them like blossom under the pressure and then some of them like totally fall apart and they all have very interesting family lives that you learn about. And like you're just really rooting for some of these people. And like I feel like it takes a lot for a book to pull me in in a way where I'm like so invested in the success of the characters. And I feel like that's maybe easier to do on television for some reason, but like Frederick Bachman, he blew the doors down. I mean, it's unbelievable. Here's what I'll say about the show. So they made a show in the native language. So I watched it with subtitles. Um, Caitlin and I both watched it separately. Um, I know they recently made a man called Ove, although they changed it to a man called Otto and which is so lame (laughs) here's the thing is i think a lot of times i won't watch something if it's been americanized okay and that's why i'm not watching a man called auto because i'm mad that they changed it however the show that was on hbo they did not give nearly enough time to the characters we didn't get any of the beautiful backstories the heartbreaking backstories you didn't get to know the characters i cared about zero people on the show yeah zero which is such like a crime because you fall in love with these characters learning about their hardships and their achievements and it 
it made me so sad because I was so excited for the show. And I'm going to basically contradict myself. I think if they had Americanized it or at least placed it in Canada or just gotten a bigger budget, that it would have been beautiful. Bigger budget and different people to adapt it. It felt like the people that adapted it did not have a lot of experience doing book to screen. They they needed many more episodes. Um, I feel like if Taylor Kitsch was ever meant to play a character, it's Peter Anderson because he was, in fact, a hockey player. I think he still plays. And he would have been the perfect um, person who is struggling with, like, love of hockey versus love of family. And it just – it made me so sad that the show flopped in my mind. I want to go back to something that Caitlin said earlier. So I was the last person to read it only last week. Um, so I'm still kind of processing everything. But it felt to me – the Friday Night Lights comparison is a perfect one because it's really about – the mentality of the whole town. Like, yes, you have the individual struggles of all the people, which both of you already mentioned. But like the tie that binds is that everybody, whether they want to be part of it or not, is part of the force that is hockey in this town. And I think all the time about Julie Taylor from Friday Night Lights, who was really sort of like forced into the realm of football, even though she doesn't care about it at all. Obviously, she loves her dad, the coach, but otherwise doesn't care. There are similar characters like that in this book. And we were talking earlier about Maya, who has this horrible thing happen to her. I also thought one of the most beautiful parts of the book is even though she went through something really traumatic, she spends a lot of time deciding if she will even tell anyone because of what it's going to do to them. And I felt like to say that for a male author to say that and understand that I thought was really beautiful and also, Steph mentioned the fact that this is translated to English. This is not the original language the way that we read it. I've talked about it on here before. I was a Hispanic studies major in college, so I've done reading things in the native language and then reading things in English. I was so moved by this translated version. I cannot even imagine how much more poignant and touching and like precise the word choices are in the original language. It made me wish that I could also read it yeah. with his original words because I thought if it's this incredible translated, what must it have been like to read it in his native language? Mm -hmm. So it's a three book series. It's Beartown. Then the second one is Us Against You, which was also fabulous. And then the third one is The Winners, which Steph has read. I have not. Molly has not. But then Frederick Bachman, like you said, has a man called Uve. He has, Sorry, I, I think that's how you say it. He has Anxious <laughs> People, which was also adapted to TV. So I think books. there's a couple more. Yeah, he, he has like a bunch of books. But I think what Molly was getting at is there was a quote. There are a couple of quotes that I think are like really outstanding. And like I have them written in journals at my house. Um I think this one, if you're like on the fence about reading a hockey book, this one pretty much sums it up. And this is a quote directly from the first book. For me, culture is as much about what we encourage as what we actually permit. David asked what he meant by that and soon replied that most people don't do what we tell them to. They do what we let them get away with. <laughs> and soon is like this old school like previous hockey coach that's kind of like the Hans from the Mighty Ducks who kind totally. of like overlooks the club, you know? 
So he's talking about like in this town, people do exactly what they think they're that we're allowing them to do. Um, and then uh, there was another one that I wanted to. Wait, can I interject? I'm I'm thinking about this now as, as like a take a few steps back. I would not qualify this as a hockey book. I think it's a book about people and relationships. Just if you're oh, listening totally and you're is, like, but on, ugh, I don't want right, to read a hockey but book. On, but like on the surface level, if you pick this up in the store, yeah. it looks like a hockey book. A hundred percent. I just don't want to turn anyone off from it. You don't have to love hockey to love this book. I feel like it's when we talk to people about the show, Friday Night Lights, it's like, please don't not watch because you think you don't like football. Yes. And if I feel like it's the same parallel and while you look for your other quote, there's one that I pulled also to the descriptive writing where I was like, oh my God, I wish I could read this originally. This is just a short one, but it says, when the sun rises above the lake, when the mornings are so cold that the oxygen itself is crisp, when the trees seem to bow respectfully over the ice in order to let as much light as possible reach the children playing on it, then you can't help wondering how anyone could choose to live in places where all you can see are concrete and buildings. Four-year-olds play outdoors on their own here, and there are still people who have never locked their front doors. I love books where the scene is a character. And I feel like this town is actually a character in and of itself. I just picture I'm, the book I'm reading right now, the third one, it's not snowing. And I'm still picturing it as like a winter wonderland with frozen lakes and trees that are bowing under the weight of snow. And I just, it kind of made me want to go there. Um, I also want to say that one of my favorite relationships in this book has absolutely nothing to do with hockey. And it's Maya and her best friend, Anna, who are completely opposite people. Maya is, she plays guitar. She's quiet. She's you know, kind of always been in her father's shadow and the shadow of her older brother who passed before um, when she was little. And Anna is raised by a single father and is basically like a feral animal. She hunts. She is tough. She is this spunky little thing. And their friendship is like, I just, it makes me feel like an inferior writer, <laughs> you know? So, um, the one that I wanted, there's, there's so many, there's so many, it's ridiculous. Um, but I do think that this one is pretty important in terms of talking about the relationships of the book. All their lives, girls are told that the only thing they need to do is their best, that that will be enough as long as they give everything they've got. When they themselves become mothers, they promise their daughters that it's true that if we just do as well as we can, if we're honest and work hard, look after our family and love each other, then everything will be all right. Everything will be fine. There's nothing to be frightened of. Children need the lie to be brave enough to sleep in their beds. Parents need it to be able to get up the next morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel and when I read this book, I was like in year seven of teaching middle schoolers. And let me tell you, I had a lot of students who did not have good adults in their life. And I was reading this book and I was like, you want to talk about dog-earing a book and highlighting a book? I must have had a copy at some point because I remember this part. I had a highlighter. I was going to town on it. I was like, this is everything. We do lie to kids. And we lie to kids because if we told them the truth, they never would go to bed, honestly. Yeah, I think there's a lot of beautiful, poignant, and also like painful 
commentary about the reality of just moving through the world and exposing things that are unfair. Like there's a lot of talk about the sponsors for the club and how much influence they have and, um, you know, changing in and out of coaches based on winning or losing or performance or whatever the case may be and which players will play for which coach. And I feel like he really exposes a lot of the harsh realities of how people interact with each other and what it means to have power or not have power. And we get to see a couple of characters who like start with no power and wind up with power and what they choose to do with that. And um, you mentioned earlier, some of his other books. I just want to say to other people who are maybe in the same boat I was in, I read anxious people as my first Frederick Bachman book. And I that's hated unfortunate. It. Yeah. I didn't like it either. And so when you guys were like, you've got to read Baritone, you've got to read Baritone, I was thinking to myself, oh, God, I can't suffer through like another Anxious People. So if you're listening to this and you saw Anxious People as the film adaptation and you read the book and you didn't like it, please don't give up on this author because of that. I think Baritone is exceptional. And whether you decide to read all three or just the first doesn't matter, but don't let Anxious People turn you off from his writing because I think that it's just an outlier. It's different than a lot of the other titles that we're talking about now. And Steph is a hockey person and loved it. My stepdad is one of the people that I gave this book to after I read it. I think he might have been the first person I gave it to. And he has played hockey for uh, 62 years. <laughs> and he absolutely loved this book. But he loved it because he was like when you get because he went pretty far with hockey and he's like when you get to a certain competitive level like it really is like that and he has like a lot of people that he played hockey with that are from like small towns like hunting towns in canada and he was like i have heard stories like the ones in bear town like i'm not like i would not be surprised if this was like a real place at all um so it just feels that authentic. It feels like it really did happen. Like when you're reading it, it does not feel like you're reading a novel at all. No. I also, I I was thinking about like the different types of relationships throughout the book and the marriage between Peter and now I'm forgetting, is it Kira? Kira, that's right. <laughs> is so, it's beautiful, but it's real. There's no sugar coating for like a flowery book. Like it's, it's about serious struggles and giving up part of yourself to support the other person and feeling lost because of that. But you know, you love them. So you want to support them. And also the other relationship that I really, really loved is between Benji and Kevin because they, one comes from money. One is raised by women in the woods with lots of dogs and has like no money and is struggling with self-identity. And yes, they are supposedly best friends and great teammates, but they're so different. And just getting to see, you know, the, like the backstories when they would like swim out to the island and camp together, like you understand where the friendship came from. And then it's sad to see people grow apart, but that's part of life you know? And also you get to see these boys from like very different backgrounds have to work together as a team. And I think that that's very interesting. And a lot of the issues that they have on the ice and off the ice are things that like aren't going to go away. Like a lot of the issues that they're having are issues that they will face as adults as well, like not just hockey. So I think that that aspect of it is really cool too. Anyways, we all think that you should read Beartown and the other two books 
because they're awesome. Also, I feel like if any of us ever make enough money to produce our own television show, maybe we could remake it properly. Do you know when I read Beartown, I had already started imagining how I would actually write it? Because, and and this is true of each of his books, is he is so good at like setting you up knowing that something bad is going to happen. And he doesn't do it in a scary way. It's just sort of like presented beautifully. Like he has last sentences of every chapters that are, it'll be something ominous like, and this is the story of how we got there. And then like the previous sentence is like a boy walks into the woods with a gun or whatever. And you're like, holy moly, what's about to happen? And he's just really good at that. Like really, really good. Yeah. I feel like he ends chapters on like, and that's why she never walked that way home again. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, forgive me if I'm misremembering, but don't we start off Bear Town basically at the end, but you don't know who? Beautiful. <laughs> yes, that's correct. That's correct. And also, like, the really bad thing that happens to the girl that probably everybody has figured out by now, but you don't know who or where. So you can tell. I mean, I knew in the first 50 pages of the book, I was like, something's going to go down with this. And as I was reading it, the more I got into it, the more I was like, no, it's not going to happen. And and then I'd read a little more and I'd be like, oh, maybe it, it'll like I kept going back and forth. And so there was this like constant like kind of pit in your stomach of like, is this where it happens? Is is it going down right now? I think it's his pacing. He's sort of like building you up in waves and then what kind of coming. master. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I feel and like this has been like our most passionate, like, <laughs> you must read this book. I would also say the second one, I think, I felt even stronger about. I, I had a very ugly cry at the end of the second book and he he brought in new characters that you started to fall in love with but I think it was the second book where you really get to know Ramona isn't it Ramona the the barkeeper and get to fall in love with her and her grisly salty self and this doesn't spoil anything I don't think but basically somebody with ulterior motives comes in with a large wad of cash to support a hockey team and that person is like a business mastermind and basically like like the interactions that he has with people in the town because he'll just randomly show up he'll be like oh did you like need this one thing like if you made a deal with me kind of you know what i mean but then like the way that he poses it you're like this guy is so good like i might fall for this um and so there's like that aspect in the second book it like gets way more into the like political whatever you want to call it um aspect of things oh it's so good i also just want to add that benji and amat are like two of my favorite characters and i just feel like they're like oh i just want to like hold them close and like take care of them and make sure they're okay <laughs> yeah i feel like the benji character you can't not fall in love with him Ugh. and root for him and appreciate the ways in which he stands up as much as he possibly can given all of the other you know pressures that are around him and I think he understands his place within the team and even though it may be tormenting him personally he knows there are certain things he has to do um, and pushes his body to the absolute physical limits in order to make things happen and um, 
if it were to be remade by the people sitting at this table, I feel like he's the most important person to cast, in my opinion. We would have to rewind maybe five years and I would cast Jack Mulhern, is that his last name, who plays hockey. He would be a perfect Benji, but we'd have to rewind time, so... I don't, he looks very young in Boys on the Boat, if I'm being honest. So, <laughs> the haircut, the tight shave. He, I mean, he could probably, he could probably do it. He has, he has the acting chops to, to be the, t- I mean, it's like the Tim Riggins where you're, you're tough on the exterior. We didn't but... even talk about Bobo. I mean, Bobo has, oh my God, what arc. a character arc. <laughs> Bobo has like the ultimate, or I mean, continued in book two, Molly. That, so wasn't yeah. it the end of Bear Town where he has that fantastic scene with his dad in a garage that made me laugh out loud? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just, I agree. I feel like I'm thinking of all the books that we've already talked about in previous episodes. And I think this is the one where the writing itself was beautiful. The characters are so emotionally resonant and real. It has such a deep sense of place. And you, things that are being discussed within it are hard, but you're still rooting for everyone. And I feel like sometimes books can lean a little too much into the depressing realities of things and it makes it hard to continue. And I think he struck the right balance between you're rooting for everyone, but you're also making space for the fact that there's a lot of really tough shit that happens to them. And it feels like acute at times. And then other times you're just sort of like, laughing with them on the bus or like celebrating a victory with them or learning more about Peter and Kira's marriage. But it's balanced in such a way where you can handle the hard stuff because there's so many other kind of bright spots and things that reel you in or make you want to get to know somebody more. And um, obviously I was kind of rushing to finish it because I knew we were going to talk about it today, but I also was kind of like, oh, I don't want to like leave this world Guess what? You don't have to. There's I know. Two I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna read book two this month for sure. Can I also say that his description? I have not been in a hockey rink slash been in my skates fifteen years, but his description of it it brought me right back to high school. The sound of stepping out on fresh ice. The smells in the locker room. Everything just like. The feel of being in a rink, not that JB Girls Hockey had any high-pressure games, but he just, he sets you in that moment so beautifully that you feel every sense around you. And I love Frederick Bachman. The end. I think, I mean, I definitely do when Molly's on the train, so. Yeah. What are people reading right now? Well, so I'm reading the third book. I'm only 100 pages in. There's close to 700 pages. Um, I actually started this book over a year ago and then had like a moment of, I don't want this to be over and put it on my shelf and didn't touch it. Um, I'm going to take my time with it. I'm not going to race through it. Um, Benji is sadly not in this book so far. I don't think he will be in it. Um, But I'm loving it. I like being, but it's weird because it's not wintertime. Yeah. And there's not really any hockey going on. So it's a different feel, but it's characters I love. I am reading a book that we talked about last week on our episode about books you wish you could read again. Steph and Caitlin have both already read it. It's called Before I Fall by Lauren Oliver. I triumphantly walked over here tonight with the book in hand to show them that I was 413 pages into (laughs) 470 pages. Um, 
It is. I think Caitlin described it last week as like a Groundhog Day type premise where the clock keeps resetting on the same day. And I was worried that it would be impossible for her to make me interested in the repeating of the day. And how would she make each new version of the day different in a way where I wasn't pre-anticipating every single thing? And somehow it really does feel new every time she focuses on a different character or a different piece of the timeline or takes you really far down a road where it feels like it's going to change the outcome entirely. I can't wait to see where it ends. Um, And I also know that all three of us read this email that came out today from Goodreads about the most anticipated books of 2024. And this month, there is going to be a new Jennifer Armstrong book. She wrote a deep dive on the show Sex and the City and on Seinfeld, and it's going to be about the history of Mean Girls. That's so fetch. Because that's all... <laughs> is that the name of it? Yes. It's called So that's Fetch. That's So Fetch. Um, what's interesting about that to me is that that uh, movie is based on a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes. Some queen, is I think that's queen right. bees and wannabes i think that's what it's called that book was like all the rage when i was in grad school like before i like really started my teaching career and it was all like oh my god girls are so mean to each other and what's this culture that we've created for them and the internet's ruining everything and blah and whatever and that movie came out and it was like so popular and like everybody thought it was so hilarious and i was like okay but like also there's like a real point here <laughs> like this is really funny and everyone that was in it like tim meadows and tina fey and like lynn sanity and you know like it was awesome but i was like also this is like really happening and people have burn books and it's like kind of a problem and i don't want to be a teacher right now yeah Um, two things in response to that one the new movie is coming out january 12th so this episode as you're listening to this our, our fans. Um, it's January 11th. The movie's coming out tomorrow. So if you want to see it, it's coming to a theater near you. It's coming to theaters first, not direct to streaming. Um, but the other reason that I really had it on the brain, and I think I even noticed it in the first place, is because in Before I Fall, there is a mean girl click that's kind of at the mm-hmm. center of everything. And this book was written in 2010. And it's... Sorry, when did the original Mean Girls come out? I don't know. Oh, what a good question. I'll fact check it quickly while we're talking. Lynn Sanity is like a similar age to me, 38. I'm guessing she was 24 in that movie, 22. I thought she was 18 when she made that movie. Oh, she was? So then I like 2004? Sw- I could have sworn she was because I thought Rachel McAdams was like 25 when they Caitlin Madison, 2004. Mm. What did I say? Wow. So this book, Before I Fall, came out six years later. After. It feels like there's definitely some inspiration mm-hmm. from that in terms of the different personalities within the group and how they treat each other versus how they treat people in the outside world. Um, so you guys know I never resist buying a hardcover. It's one of my fatal flaws. <laughs> so when this comes out, I will be using the Porter Square book gift card I received for Hanukkah to purchase the hardcover Jennifer Armstrong book about Mean Girls, and then we can pass it around. I mean, I just did buy the hardcover of the OC one, so what's the diff? Yeah. What about you? What are you reading? I am still reading uh, my first Riley Sager book. Oh, right. The Lake Across the... Oh, God. The House Across the Lake. Guys, it's been... 
I haven't been home in a lot of hours. <laughs> Went to two different jobs today and came here. I'm dying. Um, yes. So I'm reading that. It's quite good. And I also, I'm listening to Murder in Boston, the podcast. And I'm also watching a show called Paranoid, which is a British murder mystery on Netflix. So like everything I'm doing right now is murder. It's like murder TV show, murder podcast, murder novel. So I probably need to like make a shift because I live alone and it's the winter now. And I feel like I'm really going down a hole here. I'm going to push you very gently into reading seven days in June, please. <sighs> I know, but it's not timely, right? It's not June. Doesn't or matter. close. It will warm your heart and soul. So please actually do does that book take place in D.C.? New York City. New York City. I need a book that takes place in D.C. I'm about to go on my first ever trip to Washington, D.C. ever in the history of time. You said this to us the other day, and Stephanie's immediate response was, you never went on a school trip to Washington, D.C.? That, yes, was a very fair question, but also I feel like people who grew up in New England, it's a pretty common family trip destination. I'd, yeah, I'm aware. I... Went to a small middle school that only taught French as a language. Like there were 80 kids in my class and there was only like two foreign language teachers for the whole middle school and we only had French. And so our eighth grade class trip was to Quebec. And then in high school, I had an opportunity to go to D.C. with my chorus and then 9-11 happened. And then my brother looked at colleges like all along the mid-Atlantic um, and my family went on a trip over April school vacation to take him to look at said colleges and I was in college already myself and didn't have that break so they went without me. So that's how I've never been to Washington DC but my friend is getting her PhD she's presenting at a conference so I have a free place to stay and it's a long weekend and I'm going to go to all the museums and I'm going to a bookstore that also has a bar and a restaurant, which I'm really excited about. And so if you have any books that you can think of that take place in DC, let me know because I would love to read a book that like, I've never done that. I don't think I've ever read a book in a place that I've lived or a place that I'm visiting. Is it your copy? You remember the intern? Was she an intern? I'm going to flub this the book that is a memoir about the girl who worked in the obama yeah from the corner of the oval do you have that i already read it oh okay never mind okay but let's also on instagram we'll put a question out to the people and see if anyone can recommend something that takes place in dc because i think that that would be awesome for you okay so back to the podcast you mentioned before murder in boston i can't take any credit for knowing about this because steph is the person that told me <laughs> But I downloaded it before driving to Vermont a week and a half ago, and I was so gripped. I like didn't notice what time it was. I didn't notice how long I was in the car. I felt like not only was just the story interesting in of itself, but it's produced so well. Like the sound Shout effects, out to Boston Globe. Totally. The sound effects, the reading, um, excuse me, playing of like court tapes and past interviews the way they spliced everything together was so just like rich and textured and amazing. And it also reminded me the Boston Globe did a podcast a start of the pandemic called last scene about the Isabella Stewart Gardner art heist. And it was also produced amazingly well, 
I did not listen to that, but I saw the docuseries on Netflix. Okay, this is my, like, biggest gripe. Why has no one made a fictionalized TV series about the Isabella Stewart Gardner heist? I don't know. Don't know the answer to that. But I do know who should do it. For, like, 10 years, I've been asking for ben, this. Ben, Casey, and Matt. That's who should do that. Mm. It, yeah, that's that would be my vote. Ben doesn't need to be in it. He can direct it. Um. But yeah, that's that would be my vote. Also, back to murders in Boston. Um, it happened in 1989. I was five years old. I want to ask my parents if they remember that. Obviously, I don't remember. Oh, I already did this. Oh, you did? So I didn't. <laughs> so, okay. This makes me a really bad third generation masshole, but I did not know about this case. Like, people are into murder. I know. People were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Charles and Carol Stewart, like they got murdered, like leaving a Lamaze class. And I was like, huh, what are you talking about? So I didn't know anything going into it or they got shot. Well, they said murdered. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, so, you know, and it's like a super famous case. And like my friend went to Northeastern and studied criminal justice. And he's like, wait, you don't because I was like halfway through the podcast. And he's like, so you don't know what happens. And I was like, no don't say anything. And then my brother said the same thing. He's like, you don't know what happened. And then my stepdad, do you think everybody else knows what happened? And I'm like the only one. No, I think a lot of people don't know what happened. Okay. So, so I'm just going to say my stepdad made a comment about, um, the Tobin. No, not about the Tobin. He said, I'm going to just say, that family is a bunch of scumbags. I'm not going to tell you whose family. That family is a bunch of scumbags. That's all he said to me. And I was like, what? And he goes, do you not know what happened? This was over Christmas. Do you not know what happened? And I was like, uh, no, I don't. I was like, this is how far I am in the podcast. And he was like, Caitlin, that is every, like, that is all. He's like, that's like one of the biggest cases. Like there were race riots. Like it was like, a, I was like, yeah, I know, but I was four. So like, and nobody really likes to talk about it because it's like a real blemish on Boston history. And like, and he was like, I just can't even believe that. He's like, that is like a huge case. And I was like, I know you were I'm in, learning. You were in Concord. Like, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't directly affecting. <laughs> no, but you know what? My mom's comment was. Um, cause my mom was pregnant with my brother when it happened. And so she was like, really was like, oh yeah, it was all over the news and it was like really haunting and like, you know, and like when the, when the part two of the events happens, that was like when my brother was born. Hmm. So make of that what you will. But anyways, if anybody has any good podcasts to recommend, um, I am I have one episode left in that. It's it's been it's been tremendous. How, what are your thoughts on Munchausen by proxy? I don't want to listen to anything about Gypsy. Nope, it's not. Do you um, you know Molly's friend Rachel LaPaul? Yes. So she many moons ago hooked me up with this woman named Andrea Dunlop who lives on the West Coast up in. Um, Seattle to discuss publishing because she was also a writer. Well, she has her own podcast. She now has four books, but she has her own podcast called Nobody Should Believe Me. Each season is about a different, um, I think it's now called factitious disorder, but they also call it Munchausen by Proxy. And the current one is about the Netflix show, um, Take Care of Maya. Did you watch that? I did not. Well, 
I did. And this season basically makes you realize what you saw on the show is not necessarily the truth, which is so interesting. Wait, is Maya not? Oh, I might be thinking of the wrong thing. I'm going to ask you off <laughs> mic because I don't want to embarrass myself and also it would be very insulting if I don't, if I'm talking about the wrong person. <laughs> so on that note, you should follow us on Instagram and email us at plansarebooked at gmail.com. Um, this has been all over the place, but you know what? Sometimes that's what you need with your friends. And this is what would have happened if we had gone to a diner and not stuff's dining room table. <laughs> so here we are. Hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, our plans are booked. <laughs>